Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, hello, and once again, we have a fantastic guest. It is Michelle Gielen, and she is sharing some really cool research and principles and tactics all around how improved happiness leads to improved performance and just feels good. So you're going to learn, one, how happiness truly does translate into career performance. Two, how to use small shifts to talk about solutions instead of problems. And three, the four C's of delivering bad news better. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep49. Here's a bit about Michelle. Michelle Gielen is a national CBS news anchor turned positive psychology researcher who is the best-selling author of Broadcasting Happiness. Michelle is the founder of the Institute for Applied Positive Research and is partnered with Ariana Huffington to study how transformative stories fuel success. She is an executive producer of the Happiness Advantage special on PBS and a featured professor in Oprah's Happiness course. Michelle holds a Master of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania and her research and advice have received attention from the New York Times, the Washington Post, Forbes, CNN, Fox, and the Harvard Business Review. Here's Michelle. Michelle, thanks so much for appearing here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, I'm so excited to, to have you. You know, well, there's just so much good stuff that we can, we can dig into. But I might ask for you to, to kick us off by just like bringing some energy and some inspiration to, to this whole topic around broadcasting happiness. But could you share with us a case study or two associated with how, you know, this stuff isn't just fun and games and feel good, but it actually is generating some results like, like tripling revenues or dramatically increasing graduation rates? Yeah, so I am so energized. So I, I'm a researcher and I love numbers at heart. I love seeing oh, yeah. positive change that happens in individuals' lives or organizations and being able to track that. But what's most exciting is being able to see it on an organizational level where many people are benefiting, the business is benefiting, and everyone's just, I mean, reaping the benefit. So broadcasting happiness, the core idea around that. I'm a journalist originally. I was a national anchor with CBS News, turned positive psychology researcher. The reason is I got tired of telling negative news stories. Mm -hmm. But what I also came to see was that we're all broadcasters. All of us are constantly broadcasting information to the people around us. We're sharing information. We're transmitting through our verbal and our nonverbal channels uh, messages that either create success for everybody or hold us all back. And so I don't think people oftentimes realize the power that they have with their, their colleagues, their friends, their family to influence those people. So keeping that in mind, what I try to do in, in the work we do is empower people to see their power as positive broadcasters, understand that the best approach when showing up at work is to show up fully by talking about and celebrating successes. And then in the face of challenges, focusing on solutions, not just complaining about the problem. And when we saw that that happened at, um, we, you know, we did some work with Nationwide Brokerage Services, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Nationwide Insurance, mm -hmm. got them to start rewriting basic business practices to broadcast happiness, broadcast that empowered, resilient mindset. We saw that they were able to, in an 18-month period, 
triple revenues. And this is not just wow. a, you know, a small tripling. I mean, I'm talking about to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. The company got their insurance sales professionals off the phones, which is how they're making their sales, right? It's how they're, they're hitting their goals and just had them engage in simple business practices. Like I'll give you one really concrete one. They did something called the morning huddle. First thing in the morning, sales teams got together to celebrate one or two or three things, a success from the past 24 to 48 hours that the entire team might not have heard about, and then offer any, uh, an opportunity for anyone who needed a little extra support that day to speak up. And then people could rally around them and, and give them the support they needed. That was one small change that led to not only a tripling of revenues, but they also saw an increase in new insurance application rates by 237%. And this is all in an investment of time of one and a half years. That's it. Um, and Wild. then you, you mentioned, you alerted to the school district we did some work with. They brought their graduation rate up from 41% to 92% in eight years again, by celebrating successes, talking about solutions in a very specific and research-based way, um, the progress there has been amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, that is exciting. And I love to, I love numbers myself. So we're, we're two <laughs> peas in a pod there. And, and that really kind of, I think, puts it in a great frame or context that it's not just about, oh, feel good. Because I mean, feeling good is great and probably worth it in and of itself. But there's also a great justification to to make that investment of your time or your team's time in order to pursue some of these avenues. And, and I just even love your title, Broadcasting Happiness, because that's one of the things I walked away with when I read Sean Acor's book, The Happy Disadvantage. He didn't say it, but when he started talking toward the end about our mirror neurons, I think, yeah, yeah mirror neurons and, and how what we do really does impact others, which in turn can impact others. I walked away thinking, oh my gosh, I not only is happiness an advantage, but it's it's kind of like a, a duty or obligation I have sort of morally in terms of my my time on this planet. Now, I tend to make things intense, but that, that's really kind of how it struck me. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's so funny because um, so what people might not know is that Sean Acor and I are actually married. We're two, oh. Yes, we're two <laughs> married happiness researchers. <laughs> we have a two-year-old. And, and so when we had our son, no pressure there, but people were like, oh, so he's going to be the happiest kid on the planet. Oh, <laughs> wow, okay. But I wish I could invite everyone to come and sit with us around our dinner table because we talk about these exact topics, which for me are the most fascinating and interesting things ever, right? I'm obsessed with happiness research and how we can live to our greatest potential. I believe inside of everyone is this beautiful, bright light. How they show up every day is an expression of it. And we have so many opportunities to not only positively influence our levels of happiness and the success that comes with it, but also do that for other people. And so just the other day, um, Sean and I were discussing this concept of how, and, and we've had many talks about this, but there's a societal belief that says you can't change other people. Mm. Because I think everyone has had an experience where you've had that really negative person in your life. And you see that they are trapped in this story that's basically not working for them. It's holding them back. It's making them believe that they are less than, that they're undeserving. And quite frankly, we've all been in that situation too, where we've, we've just latched onto a story that's not working for us. It's a very human thing. But with that other person, we've tried to show them the light, to help them see that there's this beautiful path forward that's just waiting for them and it hasn't worked. 
We wow. haven't been able to change them. And so I think what happens is we globalize this viewpoint and we start to say, well, you know, I couldn't change that person. And so I can't change other people. I can't. And, or like maybe our mom said that to us growing up. My mom said, <laughs> I love her. She's a wise woman, but she, I think she got this one wrong. But she would say, oh, you can't change other people. That's why when you're looking for a man to marry, don't find one that's half-baked. Find one, no. You know, don't find a project. And they said, okay, well, I followed that one. But but I think, though, that what this means to is that what we're seeing in the research now, there's this compelling body of research in positive psychology in neuroscience, like you're alluding to with the mirror neurons, and in social psychology that says, actually, no, you can change other people. It might not happen exactly the way you want on your time schedule, but we are constantly influencing other people. I'll give you just one example of a study that I love. Test three people and get an, a, a sense of their mood, mm-hmm. send them into a room, have them sit there for just two minutes, not saying a word, and then test their mood after those two minutes. What we find is that the person who was most non-verbally expressive of their emotions actually infected the other two people in just those two minutes. So when you test them afterwards, they're exhibiting more of that mood of that most non-verbally expressive person. And we've all been in that meeting where someone sat there and kind of crossed their arms and you're presenting an idea and they're shaking their heads. We pick up emotions like secondhand smoke, good Mm. And so if all those negative people can infect us, well, we can, as positive people, infect others as well. Oh, I'm convinced. And I've, I've been there. I've seen it in terms of when, when certain people walk into the room, your energy surges or it wanes. And, and so I'm, I'm right with you. So, so now I want to hear, you mention among your book teasers that there are some small shifts in the way we communicate that can create some big ripple effects with really eye-popping stats from 20 to 40% boosts in productivity, performance ratings, sales, lower stress. So I got to know, what are some of these small shifts that we should start doing right away in our communication? There is a clear-cut case in the research that shows us that uh, investing in focusing our brain and the way we express ourselves with other people on the positive fueling parts of our reality that actually pays huge dividends in productive energy, lowering our levels of stress, uh, increasing our levels of connectedness with other people. And so just one small shift is anytime you have an opportunity, either in your own thinking or in conversation with other people to move from a problem to a discussion of solutions do it. Do mm. it as quickly as possible. We just did a study. So we're doing a, a series. So this is Sean and I, we're doing a series of studies in partnership with Ariana Huffington. And we're looking at how, when we transform our stories and our conversations, how that influences our own cognitive functioning and also business outcomes. And in the latest study, what we did was we tested people on mood and creative problem solving abilities. And then with the control group, we presented them with an article and it's much like the news you read and see every day. It's an article that merely focuses on the problem, hunger in America, how U.S. cities are grappling with rising food insecurities and and homelessness, right? Mm -hmm. So just the problem. And then we test their mood and creative problem solving abilities. Again, for the experimental group, the only difference was the article while it started with the problem, it then went on to discuss potential or actual solutions that you could take right now, right? Mm -hmm. And then again, we test their mood and create a problem-solving abilities. When you pair a discussion of the problem with a discussion of solutions, not only does mood improve significantly, 19% less agitated, 23% less uptight, but here's where it gets exciting. 
creative problem solving on unrelated subsequent tasks increases by 20%. Unrelated, wow. So what that shows us is that as a manager, for instance, or as a friend talking to one of your friends, when we can talk about and show someone else an empowered path in one domain, you actually can then import that empowered path to another area of your life. Um, so the faster we, I mean, we don't want to ignore problems, right? We want to have a, a, an understanding, a realistic assessment of the present moment and what's happening. But the m- more quickly we can move from kvetching and complaining and all that stuff into a place where we're talking about solutions, the more that we fuel long-term success for ourselves and the people we're talking to. Oh, that's so good. So uh, a quick shift as soon as you can from just talking about the the problems and maybe whining or stewing on them into talking about solutions. What are some other quick shifts? So the um, really easy one, this is a three second behavioral change that we found has had incredible results. I call it the power lead. It's actually the first chapter in my book when you get to the strategy section, because I think it's just so easy to do. The power lead, it's taken from my days in media. Normally, newscasters and producers follow the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm -hmm. For your own personal broadcast, you want to take the opposite approach. You got to ask yourself, what's your top story? What are you telling people? The power lead is starting off conversations and other interactions with people by saying something positive and meaningful. If I know the first few words of a conversation, I have a high degree of likelihood as a researcher of predicting the outcome of that conversation. We've seen in meetings at work, you know, it starts off on a good note. It goes well from there. It starts off on a bad note and it just tanks. Um, So this is for our own things, our own conversations. Next time someone asks you, hey, how are you? There's a massive difference between starting off by saying, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm so tired which people can only meet you with two responses. Either they have compassion, oh, I'm so sorry, or they play misery poker with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> Versus starting off by saying something positive and meaningful. Mine today might have been, oh, I'm doing great. I had breakfast with my son this morning and he's being so cute. You know, so simple, but that three-second behavioral change creates connection. It takes the lead on the conversation. It empowers other people to see that the social script says, we talk about good stuff here and maybe they'll match in kind. And ultimately it changes the trajectory of our conversations. I really like that. And and so I think when you talk about having a power lead, it's almost like you've thought about it in advance. So you're ready when they say, how are you doing or what's new? You're good to go with it. Yes, exactly. Because I think oftentimes what happens is we're not intentional about our conversations. Someone says, how are you? We either play the dance, the game that says, oh, I'm fine, thanks, which basically means <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Talk too much. Or we turn to the weather or we complain about the commute and we miss an opportunity there to create meaningful connection with the people we're talking to. Social connection is the greatest predictor of long-term levels of happiness that we have in the research. Every time we create connection with our clients, if we're a sales professional, with our colleagues while we're working on a project, with our spouse when we come home. And instead of saying, oh, honey, my day was so stressful, we say, tell me what was the best part of your day? Or let me share this great thing that happened to me, even if it was just small. Those are moments in which we are deepening the bond we have with those other people. And and ultimately, what then we then see is it also improves business and educational outcomes that we've been tracking in research. Oh, that's just so good. You are 
This is right up my alley. It's so fun. So fun. Hell, you so, seem to have a positive disposition. <laughs> well, and, and the research too, that, that combo, it's hitting the spot. Hopefully the listeners love it too. So I'll, I'll, I'll ask again. So we had a small shift associated with going from problem to solution to having yeah. a positive power lead. Is anything else leap to mind in terms of a, a quick small shift? Yeah. So one of the things that I talk about when I go give presentations at companies all over the place is I encourage people to try out a 21 day challenge. And so I would encourage your listeners to try this out as well. And this is about how to meaningfully activate your social support network. I call it emailing positivity, sometimes activating your 31, but basically it's sending a two minute positive email first thing in the morning to one new and different person each day for a period of 21 days, praising or thanking them. And the idea behind the two minutes is keep it short and sweet because you don't want to do a 30-minute email one day and just get overwhelmed for the rest of the challenge. And then also you want to tell them something that some meaningful contribution that they've made to your life. Um, the reason why this is important is that, first of all, it feels good to like be the person that sends those emails. I mean, you're going to get the biggest buzz off of it. But really what it's about is showing your brain how much meaningful social support you have in your life and by meaningfully activating those people. This was based upon a study that was done that, I mean, if I could have people know about one study in the world, this might be it because I love this so much. All right. Uh, people who are suffering from chronic pain, okay, they, they are suffering from a neuromuscular disorder, okay? Chronic pain, I think, is literally the most challenging thing someone can go through on a daily basis. Thankfully, I've never experienced it, but just imagining how it feels when we have a headache and then lengthen that out over the course of a lifetime. I mean, I have such compassion. So they had people who were experiencing this chronic pain just simply journal for two minutes about the most meaningful moment from the past 24 hours. Those that kept up this practice for a period of six months, doctors were able to drop this, these patients' pain medication in half. Awesome. Awesome, right? So. Yes. So we base this strategy off of this study. And instead of having the, sh the focus be on yourself, instead, send that two-minute email outward. So you're not, not only are you reaping the benefits, but people are as well. Oh, that's fun. And if, and if folks kind of wonder, like, why am I receiving this from you out of the blue? I mean, you can even just like have a copy paste ready to go. Hey, I learned this from Michelle and I really appreciate you or, or, or something like that. Cause I imagine that's gotta be the response sometimes like, huh, what, where, why now? <laughs> oh, I love it because, you know, so I, uh, we did some work with this one woman who she's, uh, she's in the compliance department of a very large company and she basically, uh, people only hear from her when they're doing something wrong. Right. So she said, I'm the nicest person. I'm actually a nice person. I try to be nice. And I don't feel like I have a lot of friends at my company. And so I, so we devised a plan where she was going to do basically this habit and just reach out to people sort of randomly when they're not doing anything wrong and build those bridges. And she said it transformed her experience at work. People got to know her as a human being and not just a compliance officer. And they came to her before the problem blew up because they Great. trusted her. It just made a huge difference. So for the rest of us, I think it's just an awesome habit. And you get to see 
uh, the, the contribution people have been making to your life and how transformative it's been. Ooh, I, I love this. And, and so you talked about a, a key study that made a, a big impact on you with regard to the pain medication. I wanted to also reference a study you cited in terms of the Langer experiment with the 75-year-old men. What's that about and what's that mean for professionals? Yeah, so this is incredible. Um, Ellen Langer is a professor at Harvard, and she is one of the leading thinkers on mindfulness, and most importantly, how our mindset influences everything. So health, business, she's done tremendous studies. And one of them, my favorite was she had, this is a handful of years ago, men who were 75 years old at the time, go to a retreat center for one week, And they were to be there as if they were 20 years younger. So everything was outfitted in the retreat center to remind them of 20 years prior. Mm -hmm. They had name tags with pictures from when they were 20 years younger, the whole deal. And they could not talk about modern day. They just talked about life back in the day. So before and after, she tested all kinds of things to do with their health their physical, whatever, everything, right? And what she found was at the end of that week where they basically pretended to be 20 years younger, all these health measures improved. Naive raters, people who didn't know them and looked at their pictures, on average judged them as looking three years younger than they actually were. Mm. And, and this is the best part, their eyesight on average improved by 10%. Okay. Well, it's it's striking. Like, wow, that is a quite a, a difference from a short period of time. And so, what does that mean for for folks who are trying to broadcast happiness and and live in the workplace optimally? Yeah. So, don't let your age define you. Both whether you're on the younger end of the spectrum and saying I can't do this because I don't have enough experience at work, or I'm too old for this. Who's going to hire me? And so I, I think it, mindset matters so, it's, it matters so much. We uh, did a study where we split up stressed out managers this was at UBS a handful of years ago and took one group through a stress management training that's very typical that you might receive at your company, which is when you're feeling stressed, how do you deal with it? This is how you deal with it. And what it t- teaches you is how you fight or flee from basically a fight or flight response. It's not the best way to devote your mental resources because your brain freaks out because it realizes it's stress and then it ultimately gets more stressed. Versus the other group, we train them on all the ways in which stress actually is enhancing for the body, the way it improves mental agility, cognitive functioning, memory, energy levels. We didn't advocate going out and finding more stress, but when mm-hmm. you, you are experiencing it, here's how you can actually think about it in terms of helping your body and then see it, own it, use it, okay? Four months later, midst of a very stressful time at the company, we came back, tested both groups on their stress levels and the stress-related symptoms like headaches, backaches, and fatigue, and found that the group that understood how to change their mindset around stress, they actually experienced a 23% drop in those stress-related symptoms like headaches, backaches, and fatigue as compared to the control group. Our mind has so much power that we're just starting to really understand. So can you work us through that a little bit? So if when, when stress strikes, you know, kind of what's our, you know, stop, drop, and roll or, or ideal kind of prescriptive protocol to, to handle it well? Well, I would love to give the three-hour training phenomenal, <laughs> but to put it into just a bite-sized chunk, it's what we shared with everyone was real facts from medical literature that showed how it actually can be good for the body and good for the brain. And then 
how you can recognize, oh, I'm feeling stressed right now. And then, so that's the see it part. Then you own it by saying, stress is not going to control me. I'm going to work through it doing X, Y, and Z. And then I'm going to actually utilize this stress to enhance my performance. And so, and I think we've all felt the differences. We've all been in both states, right? We've been in that state where you're so stressed out that you're you're starting to feel cloudy and foggy and you, you kind of can't do what you're supposed to do. And it, it just, it feels awful, right? Yes. And then we've been on the other side and this is, you know, maybe ahead of running a race or ahead of a deadline. Like I know I used to feel this when I was anchoring the news at CBS and we were about 60 seconds out from a live national program, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it's that good kind of stress where you're like, I'm ready. I'm going to do this. We're go- it's good. And it just feels like you're at the top of your game. And so the more we can recognize that stress doesn't control us, that we can realize that it's, we're experiencing it and change our mindset around it, the more than we reap those positive benefits. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. And, and while we're talking about you know, techniques and approaches, could you share a little bit about what's the leading questions technique all about and, and how is that useful? Leading questions doesn't lead someone to a specific answer. It leads someone to positive territory. And the leading, be- leading questions are best used when someone is coming at you with neutrality or negativity, especially negativity, right? So you show up at work, you've got a negative colleague, you call your relative and they are complaining on the phone yet again. Leading questions help change the trajectory of the conversation by asking a question that prompts somebody to scan the environment for something positive to say and helps get their brain off that neural track of negativity. So leading questions can be, you know, if if you're dealing, for instance, with a negative colleague and he's complaining about a boss, you know, oh, this boss is just doing X, Y, and Z and it's driving me nuts and blah, blah, blah. You can gently ask, so what's one good thing that this person has done? Of course, it's all about authenticity, feeling the social environment and finding a good fit in the moment, right? You don't want to ask a question that's going to anger somebody. But the more that we can get them to focus on successes, wins, resources, connections, ways in which their skills can contribute to their success, for instance, or good moments of their day or the gratitude that they feel about their life, the more we're changing the conversation and ultimately changing the social script. My favorite one is when you first walk through the door after a long day of work, ask your spouse, what was the best part of your day with your kids? Instead of saying, Hey, so honey, how was school today? Fine. You know, Mm -hmm. instead we can say, tell me what was the coolest thing you learned at school today. It gets them instead of just defaulting to neutrality or perhaps bringing you their biggest stress, you start somewhere positive and then you can address all the stresses later on, but you do it with a different mindset. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. And I want to also cover when, when you need to share some bad news, like something has emerged and you've got to deliver that, what are the best practices in doing so effectively and in alignment with this broadcasting happiness research and worldview? So in my book, I share four C's, which are the kind of components of responding to negative news and delivering bad news better. But hands down, I think the most important C of all is this idea of compassion. When someone is experiencing negative events, sometimes we it's not our fault. It just sort of happens. But people forget that they're going, someone else is going through emotions that associated with it, right? And negativity 
is merely express suffering. If someone is complaining about something or some negative event is happening, that person is suffering in that moment. So if we can meet them with compassion, express to them that we are there along with them on that journey, then that makes delivering that bad news much easier. And then, you know, obviously then there's the the other components. You stay connected to them and committed to helping solve the situation. Um, You give context, like why are we even here? And then, and also build social capital. So those are the other C's in the good times so that you have connection with them when, you know, rough seas hit. Um, But without a doubt, I think just taking a beat to say, I'm with you. I get what's going on. This is not fun. I know we are in a challenging period and I'm walking alongside you. We'll figure it out. That makes everything else so much smoother. Oh, I hear you. And could you maybe walk us through an example? Like you're going to deliver some some bad news to someone and you're going to incorporate some compassion and other C's along the way to do it well. Yeah, so my favorite example um, is in a story I came across about this police officer from Los Angeles. He's amazing. He has pulled over. He's a traffic cop. No one wants to be pulled over. (laughs) This guy has pulled over something like 25,000 people over the past 20 years. He's gotten zero complaints. Wow. Yeah. And so I looked at his approach to understand what was going on. Oh, and by the way, he even once pulled someone over and this woman invited him to dinner. There you go. (laughs) So this guy is a master at delivering bad news better, right? Whatever you're doing, he's telling you it's not good. And that's why he's pulled you over. But what he very quickly does is he develops a quick burst of social capital with the people he's pulling over by his smile and his approach and his warmth. He's not just all of a sudden putting you on the other side of of the issue. He is uh, giving you context. Listen, I'm pulling you over because you're going 45 and a 35 and because kids live on the street and we're trying to keep it safe so that no one gets hit, right? It just changes why we're, we're not supposed to be speeding. He expresses compassion for the situation. I get that no one likes to be pulled over, right? And I get that there are repercussions for action. So I'm sorry to be delivering this news to you. And then he stays committed. I want to walk you through what's going to happen next. I want to see the best outcome for you. And so here are the next steps. And it's that that human approach. Fantastic. Well, we've covered a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. So thank you so much for, for delivering the goods. Uh, will you tell me, Michelle, is there anything else you'd like for us to be sure to cover off before we kind of shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things? I think, um, well, I'd love to share this one story. Let's do it. I think it, it speaks to how powerful we are to model positive behavior. And this is one that I recently came across and I absolutely love. So the, we did some work with this guy. He sold his company for $100 million. And Excellent. He would, yeah. And you would think he'd be having a party that night. And instead, unfortunately, he had an anxiety attack. So his wife said, okay, honey, we're off balance here. Let's, um, let's go for a walk. We'll go to the local high school, go walking around the track. And what she did was she had him talk about the things he was grateful for. And so after the first night, he felt a little better. They kept the practice up. They went second and the third night. And, you know, he started feeling better and better. And about two weeks after they started, he decided, you know what? I'm benefiting so much from this. Why don't we import this uh, behavior to the dinner table? Let's get our kids involved in saying what we're grateful for. 
So the five-year-old thought it was cute. And the 13-year-old, in true fashion, she rolled her eyes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Teenagers. And what ended up happening, though, so they started doing this practice dinner table. Two weeks later, he gets a call from another dad at the school. His daughter had been at that guy's house for a sleepover with all the other girls. And he said, I've got to talk to you about your daughter. He said, oh, no, what is your daughter do now? You know? And he said, no, no, actually, uh, what happened at the sleepover was that your daughter knew that there were a lot of girls at school being exceptionally mean to each other. And so she had all the other girls sit down in a circle and say nice things about one another. Wow. Yeah. So even in those moments when we think our behavior doesn't matter, that positive change is not possible, that we're not influencing others, sometimes we don't even know how far that ripple effect can go. The wife started it with the husband. The husband brings it to the dinner table. The daughter brings it to the sleepover. The, the fa- other father finds out about, I mean, and how far this could have, could spread. I, I don't know, you know? And so in any moment that we think about how we're showing up to the rest of the world and we can make that positive choice, we do have a positive ripple effect on other people. Oh, that is inspiring. And so worthwhile, any way you slice it, from just good old-fashioned human decency to your own experience of, of life and work to, to the bottom line financially, it's, a, it's a, a win for everybody. And well, my kind of stuff. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so now let's, let's hear a little bit about some of your favorite things. Could you start us off by sharing what's a, a favorite quote you have, something that inspires you again and again? Oh, oh. Oh, I'm always, I love quotes and then I, I'm terrible at remembering them. I like be the change. I think uh, we get such a, a negative picture on the news about the world and how it's falling apart and everything terrible is happening out there. What I see though, is that there are amazing stories unfolding every single day that we should be covering more on TV and in, online um, about people being the change. So just be the change. Modeling is the best way to inspire other people. I try to do it every day. I'm still a work in progress, but I love those stories when I hear it about other people. Lovely. And how about a favorite study? You shared several already, but is there any others that you think are great you'd also like to add? Well, yeah. So one is, I mean, this is a study we actually ran. This was the first one we did uh, with Ariana Huffington, because I think it, it makes us rethink how to start our day. We found that that just three minutes of negative news in the morning can lead to a 27% higher likelihood of reporting your day as unhappy six to eight hours later. So, wow. yeah. And so that me- what that means is that that negative mood and mindset we adopt in those three minutes transforms how we look at the rest of our day and we carry that negative mindset with us. So what I would say is that I would encourage people to be really picky and choosy with the way they devote their mental resources in the morning. Find podcasts like these. Search for stories that are inspiring. Search for, even if we're talking about the problems, the solutions that we can take, because it'll transform how you look at your work, your agency, your ability to affect positive change. The problem with negative news and a barrage of it is it feeds us this lie that our behavior doesn't matter. So what we're searching for are examples of of other people who've shown us, hey, our behavior does matter, and here's how we can make this world a better place. All right. And how about a favorite book? I'm partial. I love my husband's books. Oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and um, I'm really into kids' books right now because of my two-year-old. So I love these. There's a great, this is so off topic, but there's a great book called Extra Yarn 
about this girl who knits sweaters with this endless box of yarn for her entire town. A guy steals the box away and the yarn does is no longer there. The box and the knitting needles don't work for him and because he's a bad man. And then she gets it back and she knits more sweaters. And it's just this beautiful tale that shows that one person can transform uh, an entire place. Oh, that does sound lovely. It's nice. And how about a, a favorite tool, whether it's a hardware, software, or gadget like Evernote or Insert Paper? Is there something that, that you find yourself using often that maybe is a little bit unique or extra handy? Oh, um, that's a great question. I I mean, I use WordPress. That I like that. I don't know how. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, there's something called XMind that I sort of just fell into recently. And it's a mapping software so you can start with one bubble and then map out from there. It's sort of like we used to do those old-fashioned brainstorms with circles and lines and whatever, but it's all on paper. X-Mind, I I like it. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that has really made the difference for you in terms of your effectiveness or happiness? The biggest one for me, so when I was in my mid-20s, I experienced a year-long bout with depression which I'm so grateful for because I'm a happiness researcher now and it absolutely helped inform the lens through which I view the work we do. Um, When I was in the midst of that and didn't know how I was going to get out of it, the thing that helped me was asking questions about things that were causing me anxiety. And I write about it in the book, but this idea of fact-checking, making sure we have the most helpful set of facts to help move us forward. And so I just went down the list of, you know, any anxiety or trouble that I had, I would go through and fact check to make sure I had the right story there. And was I seeing the resources and connections and people that loved me and things that were going on well. Um, So that's something I still turn to. And then in all times, good and bad, I think the practice of, of counting our gratitudes is so important. Lovely. And how about a favorite nugget or or piece that you share that really seems to get people nodding their heads, taking notes, retweeting, Kindle book highlighting? Is there a a quote we can ascribe to you as being something people just are loving? uh, People seem to resonate with change your story, change your power. Yeah, I think. And then the other thing, it's more of a concept, but this idea of you know, people often ask me, well, who's more powerful, the positive person or the negative person? And I'm thinking that one really negative person on their team or, you know, is bringing down everybody. What I love is that what we find in the research, it's not the most negative or the most positive person who's most powerful. It's actually the one who's most expressive. Yeah. Like you mentioned, non-verbally expressive in the research earlier. Yes. Non-verbally. And then, and then obviously verbally too, it just, uh, Often, you know, sometimes we have a, we are already positive about something, but we don't speak up about it. Yet the negative person will speak up, we'll hear from them. So we need to keep that in mind that when we're feeling positive and optimistic, don't think the job's done and just stay quiet. I mean, really think about how you can influence others in a, in a positive way by speaking up about how you feel. Fantastic. And if folks want to learn more about you and your work and goods, where should they go to? Yeah, absolutely. So I love being connected with everybody. So my the easiest website to remember is broadcastinghappiness.com. I also have one under my name, Michelle Gielan, G-I-E-L-A-N. And one thing I'd invite everyone to take, so we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but um, they can learn more online, is that uh, we did some research that looked at the three greatest predictors of long-term levels of success at work. We have a free 30-question assessment that helps you understand how your mindset works and how that fuels your performance. So that's available at broadcastinghappiness.com. It's called the success scale. And I would invite everyone to take it. Oh, thank you. And 
a favorite challenge or a parting call to action that you might issue to those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Yeah. So do, how about the 21 day challenge? I love that one. Uh, sending that two minute positive email, praising or thanking someone new and different each day for that three week period. And then please let me know if you have an awesome success story. If some email just rocked somebody else's world, I would love to hear about it. Um, if you go to my website, any one of them and share your story there. It's always great because then I can pass those on to our community and inspire other people, which to me is so fun. And then I'm also, of course, on social media too. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much. This has been uh, an absolute treat and and I'm excited to dig in myself into into all these things you've mentioned. So I wish you tons of of luck and success with with the book and, and what you're broadcasting and really appreciate the time here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love that, particularly the expressing gratitude with quick notes that you can do in under two minutes. As we learned from David Allen, episode 15, if you can do something in under two minutes, just do it now. So there's a challenge, there's a call to action for you. And another one is, I hope you'll stick around for the next episode. We're gonna hear from Jim Lukashevsky all about getting the boss to listen to you. And he's got some, some fun war stories that make that come together. So hope to catch you there and have a good one. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.